You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farah of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. You know, when we get those uh, hurricane warnings here in Hawaii, and a lot of us will, you know, take precautions, tape up the windows, or even, if need be, board up the windows, you know, uh, that's preparation. That's preemptive, preventative. And that's the way the Word of God is. Because when that storm hits, you, you can't, there's no more time. It's too late to go out and start boarding up the windows of your life, of your Christian life. The time to be immersed in studying the Word of God is during times of calm. When you're at rest with God, you should be preparing for the next trial of life. As Pastor J.D. explains today, this life is not easy. God did not promise an existence free of storms, but He did promise to walk alongside you in the rain with an umbrella. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Psalms chapter 119 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. There were only nine good kings of all of the kings of Israel. Only nine kings of whom it could be said that they did that which was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. All the other kings, they did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And of those nine good kings, only nine, Of those nine good kings, eight at some point in their lives made a tragic mistake that cost them greatly with the exception of one. And there's only a few verses describing this king by the name of Yotham, Jotham. And it says of him that every day he would present his ways to the Lord, lived according to the word of the Lord, and his life was a blessed life. He did that which was pleasing in the sight of the Lord, because he lived according to the Word of God. Now, we're going to see this as a common theme throughout our study of Psalm 119, and that's why I uh, say it that way, that we're off to a great start. Verse 9, how can a young man, a young man, cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, verse 12. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced, verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Okay. Very interesting. 
It's this second section now in Psalm 119, but to me it's one of the most powerful passages in all of the pages of Holy Writ. And I'll explain why I say that. It's about how living according to the Word of God will lead to a life of purity. And notice the specificity as it relates to a young man. Maybe the question should be asked, why does it say, how does a young man keep his way pure? Why, pray tell, doesn't it say, how does an elderly man, or a man in his fifties, <laughs> keep his way pure? Or how does an elderly woman keep her way pure by taking heed to your word? Why doesn't it say that? Why do we have this detail, this specificity that it's a young man? Think about it. If God's Word, taking heed to the Word of God, can keep a young man's way pure, you know, a young man, then there's hope for us, right? And if it can keep a young man's way pure, that's power. The Word of God has the power to lead to a pure life. If it can do it for a young man, hey, how about us that are not young anymore. Is that a good way to say it? <laughs> when I was a young believer in my early 20s, I got saved at age 19. I heard this quote, and it has stuck with me all of my life. And it goes like this. Sin will keep you from the Bible, and the Bible will keep you from sin. Think about that. When there's willful disobedience in the life of a Christian, doesn't it not only distance you from God, but also from the Word of God? There's a separation that takes place. And conversely, when you are in the Word and the Word is in you, it leads to a pure life, a pure and holy life. The Bible will keep you from sin, but also on the flip side of that, sin will keep you from the Bible. Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, verse 18, that I may see wondrous things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. You rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Princes, verse 23, also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates, keyword meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight, and I want you to pay particular attention to these last three words, and my counselors. This is what I mean by the love, the relationship that the psalmist has with the Word of God. So much so, in this third section, it almost seems like the psalmist is personifying the Word of God. And what I mean by that 
is that the Word of God is the counselor. Isn't Jesus the Word? Stay with me on this. Isn't He the wonderful counselor? Doesn't John tell us that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and in verse 14 of John chapter 1, we're told that the Word, the Word, became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled amongst us. If you look at a diagram of the tabernacle and then subsequently what would become the temple, the permanent structure, it's actually in the shape of a cross, and it's in three sections a picture, really a type of the Trinity. You had the outer courts, you had the holy place. Then in the third part, you had the holy of holies, the most holy place. And the furnishings, seven furnishings, seven the number of completion. And if you look at a a diagram of, and the footprint of the tabernacle and the furnishings. You had the lampstand, the table of showbread, and you have the altar of sacrifice, the altar of incense, and it's in the shape of a cross. And then when they would take the tabernacle and the Israelites would encamp around about the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is in the book of Numbers, which is an interesting book, the book of Numbers because it's a book about numbers. (laughs) I mean, it's one of the most amazing books in all of God's Word. And so we're we're told, and, and at first read it would seem very boring. You have all of the numbers of all of the tribes of the camps of the Israelites that were camped with the tabernacle at the center. So you had 12 tribes divided up into four groups, three tribes each, to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, with the tabernacle right smack in the middle. Do you know that that, those numbers that we have, that formation with the tabernacle in the middle, to the east, to the west, to the north, to the south, was in the shape of a cross? before a Roman cross and crucifixion had ever been thought of and implemented. So you know the the story in Numbers chapter 22 of this man by the name of Balaam, Balaam, and how he was paid all this money to pronounce a curse by Balak, who was now threatened by the numbers of the Israelites, And he was paid all this money if he would but pronounce a curse upon the Israelites. So he takes his donkey. Remember this donkey? I love this donkey. He tries to stop him by speaking through his donkey. You know what's really interesting? And this is one of those places in God's Word where I'm just once again reminded that God has an amazing sense of humor because not only does the donkey speak, but Balaam talks back to the donkey. How's that one? And the donkey's basically saying, uh, what do you think you're doing? I know that's a very loose paraphrase, but what do you think you're doing? You cannot pronounce a curse on them. So anyway, he, he uh, tries to pronounce a curse and can't. In fact, every time he opens his mouth to pronounce the curse, not only does a curse not come out, instead comes this beautiful blessing. I mean, it's recorded for us there in the book of Numbers. 
And I mean, it's this grand and glorious. He's, he's only blessing them, and this Balak is getting more and more incensed and outraged. And so what he does is he, he says, let's go to a higher mountaintop, and where you have full view of the camp of the Israelites, in that formation of a cross, and maybe from that vantage point you can pronounce a curse on them. And again, same thing. Only a beautiful blessing comes out. Do you know why? It was impossible for him to pronounce a curse upon the Israelites. It's because it was a foreshadow of the person of Jesus Christ and the finished work on the cross that that formation of the camp of the Israelites had formed with the tabernacle right in the middle of the Israelites. That's why. Now when we get into the book of Revelation, he finally succeeds. So he does end up uh, doing this. He has these Moabite women uh, seduce the Israelite men. Basically, he uh, comes up with this idea, you can't curse them from without. The gates of hell cannot prevail against God's people, the church of Jesus Christ. You'll never curse them, but you can get them to bring upon themselves the curse of God if they sin against God. So these Moabite women seduce the Israelite men, and they start worshiping those false gods, and it brings upon them the curse of God because of it. That's how it ends up. Sad. Here, God's Word is again personified as one's counselor, and it speaks to the role of the Word of God in the life of a believer during those times when we need guidance and we need counsel. You know, as a pastor, I have to say that there are many times when I find myself across the pastoral desk of counseling merely telling somebody, here's where in God's Word you need to be. And here's the thing about being in the Word of God. You know, when those storms hit, you had better know the Word of God at times like that. You had better have the Word of God written on the tablet of your heart. You need to know the Word of God. I, I liken it to this. You know, when we get those uh, hurricane warnings here in Hawaii, and a lot of us will, you know, take precautions, tape up the windows, or even, if need be, board up the windows. You know, uh, that's preparation. That's preemptive, preventative. And that's the way the Word of God is. Because when that storm hits, you, you can't, there's no more time. It's too late to go out and start boarding up the windows of your life, of your Christian life. The Word of God is the counselor. Verse 25, my soul, listen to the, the cry of the psalmist's heart here. He says, my soul clings to the dust. Revive me according 
to your word. I have declared my ways, verse 26, and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. So shall I, here's that word again, very important, meditate on your wonderful works. Let me just maybe parenthetically say that whenever you read about meditating on the Word of God, you have to understand that it carries with it the idea of, and you'll forgive the, the graphic nature of the illustration, but it's a regurgitation and a chewing on and a digesting of and an assimilating of the Word of God. Memorization has its place, and I think some people have uh, a gift that way. They have, you know, some people have photographic memory, and they can just recall and memorize virtually instantly. And I think that that has its benefit, but more than memorization of God's Word is meditation and even application of God's Word. It's when God's Word becomes real in your life. And listen to what the psalmist says, how he says it. He says, so shall I meditate on your wonderful works. Now verse 28 is interesting, and I want to talk a little bit about it. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove from me, verse 29, the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies. Kind of has this idea of, I hang on for dear life. Your word, your word is life. Your word is alive. I'm, I'm hanging on to your word for dear life. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Do not put me to shame. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. It's this fourth section that I want us to spend the remainder of our time talking about because it speaks to the power of God's Word during trials. You know, it's been said that you're either in a trial, on the tail end of a trial, or, I know you don't want to probably hear this, you're about to go into a trial, so have a nice evening. <laughs> I mean, are not trials part of the Christian experience. Jesus in John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 33, said it this way, in this world you're going to have problems. You are going to have tribulations, trials, difficulties, pain, suffering. But be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. In other words, you're going to have trials. You're going to have difficulties. And where do you turn in those trials? The Word of God. 
I think it was last week we talked about uh, what one has called the tale of two men. These two men had quite a bit in common. They both wanted to build a house. Uh, They both had heard the teachings of Jesus. And one man chose to build his house on the rock. And so when the storms came, that house was immovable, could not be shaken. And conversely, the man who chose to build his house on the sand, didn't take much. Here comes the storm, down the house goes. What was the difference? The foundation. What's the point of the parable? The point of the parable is, Jesus said, the one who builds his house on the rock, on the stone, that foundation that cannot be moved, is the one who not only hears my words, they both heard the words of Jesus, but it's the one who puts them into practice. The one who applies the Word of God, so that when, not if, oh, I wish it were if. I wish that Jesus in John 16, wouldn't have said it the way He said it. I wish He would have said it this way. In the possibility, in the event, that you could possibly encounter, by chance, a trial, <laughs> be of good cheer. He doesn't say it like that. He says, no. In this world, you will, not you might, not you could, not it's a good possibility, you will have tribulation. In Acts 27, uh, Paul is on this ship. It's his fourth shipwreck. Can you imagine? And here he is in Acts 27 on this prisoner ship, and here comes this storm, hurricane force winds. And I mean, they all think, they all basically think this is how it ends, including Paul. And he had been in a shipwreck three times before, but this storm, he thinks that's it. It's over. This is how it ends. And they had all given up hope, but God, but God, maybe better said, but the Word of God. And this is what the psalmist is saying. Stay with me. He's saying that His soul is clinging to the dust. What does that mean? I would suggest that he is on his face. I mean, he's he's tasting the dust. He's on his face on the ground before God. What about this? What is melting from the heaviness. He says, my soul is clinging to the dust, and my soul is melting from the heaviness. I truly believe that the psalmist is describing a season in his life where he is at the end. Thanks for taking the time to listen today to In Spirit and Truth. Pastor J.D. has been taking us through the book of Psalms, detailing the author's messages of hope and pain, joy and sorrow. You may have found today that you identified with the sentiments expressed in today's passage. And if that's the case, we encourage you to explore more. Dive into the Word yourself and ask God to reveal additional love and personal truth that He knows you need to hear today. 
If you'd like to hear more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings in Psalms 2, you can find them online at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Are you a part of a community of believers? If you haven't yet found a church that you can call home, we'd like to urge you to remedy that soon. A church family can be a source of support, a cheering squad, and most importantly, a group of faithful prayer warriors. This is also a place you can give of your unique talents in support of others as well. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you have a standing invitation to be part of our family of believers. Come join Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find out more at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. There's a lot to discover at our website, including a link to our mobile app, social media pages, and Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Updates. That website, one more time, is inspiritandtruthradio.com. That's all we have for today. Join us next time to continue learning from the book of Psalms, right here on In Spirit and Truth. <music> 